Good morning. I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of the word. Today's reading is in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. This is a passage I love that means a lot to me. Uh, let me kind of situate it and situate us, why this is so important. So if you're around here ever, ever part of this, you know we're coming very close to a big milestone for us. We are now only two weeks away from our anniversary Sunday. Yeah, and uh, um, we're going to work on that applause every Sunday until then. And I'm hoping by the time the anniversary comes, there's actually going to be enthusiasm. So yeah, we, we never want to fake it, but we're, we're not against uh, revving it up a little bit as we go. So um uh, yeah, so obviously every celebrate, every birthday, every anniversary feels important, both for a person and a community. 20 feels like a big, big one. And so um, uh, we started in August, kind of prepping for it. We'll continue. So the anniversary Sunday itself is September 10th. But kind of one of the things we're going to do, let me kind of look ahead first and then try tell you what we're trying to kind of do leading up to that. Um, on the 10th, the anniversary itself, on the 17th, the 24th, each of those three Sundays, we're going to have pastor friends of our community come in and celebrate with us and envision us and encourage us for the work that has been done, for the work that continues. I'm very excited about each one. On September 10th, will be, um, who's arguably been the, the most popular preacher in River City over the years, Dr. Alary, Dr. Elise Barrymore. Um, so you've been around, you've heard her before. If not, it'll be a treat. Dr. Elise pastors a church called the Emmaus Community out in Chicago Heights. And so she'll be with us on Anniversary Sunday on the 10th. On the 17th, our, my mentor and our spiritual mother will be flying in from Seattle, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, and so she will be with us on the 17th. And then on the 24th, we'll have Pastor David Marrero, who pastors New Life Covenant Assemblies of God around the corner, the giant, in fact, largest Latino church in the city of Chicago, and neighbors of ours, and a church that's been a big part of our story. We met in their facilities and buildings for over 10 years <clears throat> as part of our journey. So... Um, that'll be exciting to have them there, and I'm looking forward to each week of that. And so in these last three weeks, or in the second of those three weeks, one more next Sunday on their big weekend, and that'll be anniversary Sunday. Here, I, I, I don't know that you're going to feel the weight of this the way that I did, but here's the, here's the weight of what I've been feeling for these three Sundays. I, I wanted to ask, um, as we look towards our anniversary and as we look towards um, this kind of really exciting opportunity, we've kind of been sharing that this three-city lot that's adjacent to our building has been a dream and a vision for us for years and years and years to see this become an expansive, life-giving, abundant, and 
inclusive, warm, beautiful kind of environment for our neighborhood, for us, for our church, for our nonprofits. And so we're integrating in um, with the anniversary a campaign to try to be ready to like move on that property at the beginning of next year. And so um, here, here's what I've been kind of thinking, praying, prepping over these starting last week, this week, next week. I asked the question this way. If there were three different passages that we could go through that, A, kind of point to universal God kinds of truths, particularly the, the aim of these three weeks, and the anniversary in general. I mean, there are certain weeks where it's going to be much more around your own individual faith development. What we're really looking at during this series is God's call on us as a community, the us part of it, right, the we part of it. Uh, we believe very deeply that God calls communities to be together, to share life together, to pursue God together, and then to join God in the participation of the coming kingdom of God and as a community to play a meaningful role within that renewal. So here's what I've been asking. What, what, if, we could, if I could have just three shots to say, here's a passage that A, points to a tr- truth that's just always true about God and about communities that are following God, B, that it become big parts of our story, and that's what becomes more personal for us, and then C, really kind of manifest in this project, in this endeavor that we're participating in. That's what I've really been trying to ask. What, you know, so, so from my perspective, these would be three of the biggest ones that kind of point to the kind of call we understand that God has placed on us and how we're living that out and how it's going to manifest in that property. So let me just a, like just a 60-second review of last week. Um, yeah, we, we kind of, if, if I used a non-biblical term, I'd call partnership. We say that word with me, partnership. If I was using kind of biblical idea, we use the language of the body, that the body of Christ is made manifest through God's people in a flesh and blood kind of a way. So last week we looked at, um, uh, when we look at God's call on us to be rooted here in this neighborhood, in this community, that um, uh, it's been very important for the whole of our journey and more so than ever, in particular in this project next door, that we see it as a partnership where just in the same way within a faith body, everybody's got a role to play. Even within our neighborhood, we've all got a role to play. And we talked about kind of the, the neighborhood, about the nonprofit, about the church. So that was a big part of last week. We also announced this. If you go to that next slide, thank you, Dave. Um, we also said that as part of this big project that we're doing um, next door that's going to kind of come to fruition here during our anniversary weeks, um, that we're going to ask everybody who's connected to River City um, virtually, in person, that's part of this body, this friends' body, we're going to ask people in a way we've never asked people before, but we're, we're going to ask people to get the word out about this project and to support us in the endeavors of this, to support the work, because this is not really a church thing. This is a neighborhood, community development kind of a thing. So we are in the final stages of developing a top-notch video. We saw the first edits of it this week. It is very, very well done. It's very, very compelling. Um, and we're going to ask we're going to ask more and more clearly, you know, as we move into the anniversary, that all of our body would, all of all of us who are part of this would be open and willing and excited to share this. Okay? So kind of partnerships in the body in action is what we went with next week, last week. Okay, as we get to this week, um, uh, <laughs> let me just ask this in a very direct way. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me go right to the kind of human self-interest piece of this. If we're collectively working on this body, here's the question I want to ask. If we're collectively working as a body on this big endeavor next door, let me just ask it almost like crassly, why should you care? I, 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 I want you to ask that first. So why should we care? Why should you care? If there's one thing I've kind of definitely learned over the years is that when somebody's going to move in a certain kind of way, information is never enough on its own. 
uh, information is always important. Learning about things is always important. But until you care about something, you won't move. Right? I mean, that's just true across the board, right? Like, if you don't really care about something, it's not going to bring out the best of you. And so I'm not assuming you don't care. It's probably at level 10 caring for all of us already. So I'm not suggesting anything other than that. But I do want to ask that, because that, that's, that's where I think this passage is going to help us think about it. This is the question I would ask. Why should we care so much about this next big project that's going to be a huge collaborative effort between us, the nonprofit, the, the different neighborhood entities? Why should we care? And that is where I would like to come to Zechariah 8, this really interesting passage. Um, and... We're going to kind of make our way to this, but I, I want you, I, there's such an interesting word in Zechariah 8, and you can, Dave, if you don't mind coming back to the passage now, we'll be kind of making our way through um, this passage. Um, I, I'm going to come back through the whole of the story, but I want to like jump ahead to this really interesting word that God uses of the remnant of the city and then actually of God itself. God says that whatever is happening in Zechariah 8, God uses this word. God says, when I look at what it is I'm talking about through this prophetic word, the word that comes for God is the word marvelous which is just a word we don't actually use that often. I mean, we all know what it means. We don't, at least I don't use that word. You know, that's marvelous. I don't know. It seems like it would feel a little inauthentic for me to say, but uh, it's actually a really big word, right? For God to look at something and say, this is marvelous, is something that should catch our attention, right? If God sees something as marvelous, then the people of God should be really interested in that, right? And interested why God sees us as marvelous and want to participate in that, right? And that's where Zechariah 8 goes is, God describing something to the people of God in the Old Testament, calling them from something into something, and ultimately God says this is marvelous. So let's, let's kind of, uh, there, there's, yeah, you don't really need to know the inner workings, so I'm not telling you this, but I've, I've like went back and forth of like making this a two or three week series just on this passage. I think so many things are happening, so I'm doing something I don't usually like to do. I'm going to have three points in here that each probably should be their own week, but I wanted to stand alone. Um, but there's a lot of substance in here, so I'm like really inviting and hoping you'll kind of like really dive into this passage, okay? So let's start with what's happening, because the historically here, let, let, let's do story time, shall we? Um, what's happening in Zechariah 8? Okay, uh, in the Old Testament story, there are these kind of different periods where Israel, the, the nation of Israel, is under the captivity or ruler of some kind of a superpower, um, the last big one is Babylon. So Babylon became this enormous, powerful city. Um, they defeated the city of Jerusalem, you know, re- really left it in ruins, brought most of the people into captivity, into the city of Babylon, left some behind. But the ones they took were especially the ones who were driving. They took all the professionals, all the artists, um, you know, th- those that were really driving a lot of life the city. The, the, the city of Babylon took all of them into captivity, and very few were left in Jerusalem, all right? So this is a big part of the, the story in the Old Testament. And so God says something really unexpected to the people, to the nation of Israel, while they're in captivity. This is famously depicted in Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah was one of the uh, most famous the prophets of these words. God said, even though you're in captivity, even though you're in exile, even though you're in a place you do not want to be, nonetheless, I still want you to seek the shalom of that city. All right, shalom is this big, wonderful word that in English it's often translated peace, but it gets to something much bigger. It gets to a, full, a fully multidimensional approach to health that every aspect of it is thriving and flourishing. In this really unexpected way, God says, while you're in captivity in Babylon, I still want you to seek the shalom, pray for the shalom of that city. And the people respond to that call from God, and they do seek the shalom of that city. And 
what ends up happening is the city really does prosper. It really does grow economically, and you know, families build houses and plant gardens, just as Jeremiah told them to. And so the, over that period of time, the nation of Israel kind of became part of the lifeblood of that city of Babylon, so this place that was at the roots of the destruction of their city of Jerusalem, and they were brought into captivity, but now they become kind of part of the life of it, and they have been seeking the shalom, and the city is prospering, all right? So that's all pre to this. Now, Zechariah is called a post-exilic prophet. What that means is that the nation of Israel has now been released from their captivity in the city of Babylon. They are now free to go back home, except the reality is most of them don't really want to go back home anymore for reasons that actually are not super hard humanly to understand, right? Like, I mean, years and years and years have passed, right? So so these young people who grew up in the city of Babylon, they're like, I get it that the city of Jerusalem is important to my parents, was important to my grandparents, but I'm I'm doing pretty good in this city, right? And and this is where you see see these dynamics have just kind of been around forever. When the people of Israel who were in the city of Babylon thought about Jerusalem, they thought about Jerusalem the same way that many of us in today's climate think about cities or neighborhoods that have been neglected and left in disrepair for a long time. Usually these are terms um, that at least in their origin, are usually said with a little bit of a cynical or even negative attitude. But when we call something the inner city, there's usually a kind of a connotation we're saying with that, right? That it's, it's a place that has been left in disrepair for a long period of time. When we call something the hood, we're, we're usually talking about a city that is, or a neighborhood that is fighting historical social ills as part of its day-to-day reality, right? When the people, the Jewish people who have their roots in the city of Jerusalem. When they think of their city of Jerusalem now at this point, they're, they're saying it's dangerous. There's no infrastructure left anymore. There's no way to get jobs. There's no way, there's no walls to protect us. There's no schools for our children. And why would we go back to the city? And so that, that's, that's what the heart of this passage is about. This is about God calling on the nation of Israel who live in the city of Babylon, who have now been freed from their captivity, who God wants to invest in and partner up with the remnant who was still there in the city to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And what the people see and what God sees are not matching up here. What what the people see is a place that feels dangerous and risky and a place that they're not necessarily compelled to participate in the rebuilding with. And what God sees is a city that, um, uh, it's, this is another kind of interesting parallel. When you see these kind of cities that are, or neighborhoods, it was back then, you could see this now. When you see, an, there's never a perfect term for this. It's called disrepair, disinvested, um, a, a neighborhood that's struggling with oppression, violence, whatever, whatever kind of language you would use. One of the things you see, even in the Old Testament, that's just as true now, is that a neighborhood never gets there on its own. Uh, that's not the natural course of a community, of a city, of a neighborhood. Actually, the natural course is quite the opposite. People who live in a neighborhood want to feel proud of where they live. They want to be invested in where they live. They want safety where they live, right? They want access to things. They want resources where they live. When you see a place that is in disrepair, that is kind of struggling with the things that come with that, violence and threats and stuff like that, it is always because that town or that city or that community carries the impact of historical human sin. What, whatever term we use, something like disrepair, that is a city or a neighborhood or community that carries the impact of historical sin. Right? So Jerusalem was not always a city that was in disrepair. 
right? It actually had been a city that was thriving and flourishing. There's a reason now that the walls are burned down, that there's a lack of jobs, a lack of opportunity, that it's not a very safe place. There's a reason for that, and that's because this empire came in and gutted the city, right? And so um, the, the, the current state of disrepair is not because that was just the natural course of it. It's because human sin impacted it. And I, I just think that's always an important part of the story. Whenever we're talking about, and there's neighborhoods like this all over Chicago, neighborhoods like this all over our country that are in disrepair, there's, there's never a neutral story behind that, right? It is always because of the impact of human sin. Whether we look at racism and redlining, whether we would look at the way that cities and neighborhoods were put together, things the way that they were gutted, that's always a part of this, right? So that's a, that's a lot of backdrop on the story, but, it, but what God says to the people I don't think makes sense without understanding kind of what they're up against. God is now saying, in the same way you sought the shalom for this city that is now thriving and has all kinds of economic opportunities and feels very safe and um, you have all these kind of options for you, I want you now to seek the shalom in your neighborhood that you're from, in the neighborhood of Jerusalem. All right? So uh, I'm like really feeling how much content there is to this and how much I want to say in each one, but I'm, I'm it. Are you following all right? Am I losing you, or is this, is this making sense so far? Because I didn't even get to the three points yet. That's what's, wor- that's what's worrying me. But we do, are we doing okay? Um, thank you, Stella. I, I hear your voice above all the others. So I'm going to grab on. This is what you have to do up here. Okay. Uh, there, it is, this gets to the question, why should we care? I, I, I'm kind of making the case, if I can kind of just say it straightforwardly, that God wants the people, the, the, the people of, of Israel to do something that they're not really inclined to do and that they don't care a whole lot about in this moment. And so God is going to tell them why God cares, why they should care, and why they should participate. And I think this has a lot of impact on the work that we're doing. All right, let's, let's just kind of make our way through this passage. So there's three things I want to kind of show you that God says, and these become kind of the concrete things I'm hoping we really kind of sit with and live with. All right, verse 2. Here's the first thing that God says as God is hoping that they will care. God says, this is what Yahweh, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Remember, if you've been around, whenever you see those lower cap, Lord, that's Yahweh, the personalized name of God for the nation of Israel. This is what Yahweh God says. I am very jealous for Zion, which is synonymous with, with Jerusalem. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. All right, so in a in a sentence, God is saying, here's the first reason that I want you to care and why I want you to do this, because I love this city. I love this city. And I, I'm person, I, I, I would say I, temperamentally I'm a pretty intense person. I, I respond well to intensity. And uh, I love that God doesn't just say love. God says, I'm not just, I, I don't just love this city. I'm jealous for her. God is saying the state she is in right now is not the state of shalom that I intend for her. This is not what I want for her. The state of disrepair that is there right now is not the state I want the city in. I want you to care about this city because I care about this city. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm again evaluating how many things I want to get into. Okay, so here's one of the things I think that, here's where God is meddling a little bit. I mean, one, because, I mean, on one hand, maybe that's not shocking. Of course, God loves everything, right? But like, why is that so important? Um, here's what I think God is speaking to, and I think this is where there is a, re- a lot of relevance, especially for those of us in our body who have some money, who have some mobility, who have some comfort. Um, 
I'm thinking of one of the conversations. You know, Dr. Marshall Hatch is a good friend, pastor here on the West Side, New Mount Pilgrim, has been a mentor for a long time. He's one of the ones I was hoping we could get there during the anniversary, but he's celebrating 30 years at his church at the same time we're celebrating 20. So it's like, so so you still love us, right? You should still come. But uh, I'm thinking one of um, the mentoring conversations he said to me early on that has always stuck with me. He thinks a lot about faith and money. He says, you know what? He said, Daniel, here's one of the the things I would advise you to be really careful of. Don't ever conflate or confuse the presence of God with the presence of money. They're not the same thing. But everybody thinks they're the same thing. He said, when you, he said, talk to people who are in Chicago and say, where is God moving in the city of Chicago? And the instinctive answer will be to go to the places where money is moving, right? Where things are being built, where buildings are being built, where things are happening. And he said, that's not, I said, I'm not, I'm not saying God's not moving in those places, but that's not the sign that God is moving, right? He said, you give me that same amount of money, I can do four times the amount of what often happens to those places. The presence of money is not the same thing as the presence of God, the, the movement of God is not the same thing as money being present. I think that's some of what God is saying here to um, the nation of Israel. I think God is saying, don't get so comfortable in this city that has all the money, all the resources now, that you forget where you came from. Don't, don't think that when you look at these, if these are your two options, and it's live in the city of Babylon or live in the city of Jerusalem, and you're getting this, 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 and the school, and this, and this, and then there's Jerusalem, there's none of those kind of things. Don't assume just because the money is there, that means where I'm moving. Right. Now, does that mean God doesn't love Babylon? Of course it doesn't mean that. God already told them to pursue shalom while they were there, right? So this isn't about pitting them against each other as much as saying often our calculus is off a little bit of like where God is moving and where God is calling us to participate in the movement. And if you would take a human calculus, they would say, hey, things are, things are up and going to the right in Babylon. I think that's where we're supposed to be. And God's saying, no, I am jealous for Jerusalem. I want you to love that city the way I you can probably see where I'm going with this, but let me, let me just hammer home this first one. Why do I think we should care about what we're doing here? Why should we care about that project? Because we should love West Humble Park. We should be jealous for West Humble Park the way God is jealous for West Humble Park. Now, for some of you, that, that, this is your community. This is where you grew up. That's going to feel one way. For other of you, you live in Uptown, and you're part of this community, and you know, it takes a little bit maybe more spiritual work to get aligned there. But the bottom line is this is what we should all rally around. We love this community in a way that God loves this community. We are jealous for this community in a way that God is jealous for this community. Um, yeah, period. I guess that's really not many more things to be said than that, right? Like the first and kind of fiercest motivation that God wants for God's people is God says, I love this place. I'm jealous for this place. You tracking with me? All right. Let's go to the next one. This is, this is big, but I want to kind of land it quick. I, th- I think we can do that. Let's go to the next verse. Uh, so God starts by saying, I'm jealous for her. I love this city. So here's what God says next. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Now, at first glance, this must have been a little bit of a confusing verse, right? When God is speaking to the people and saying, I am actually going to be like present and I'm going to dwell in a way that people can feel... It must have been a little confusing because they don't know about what's, what's going to happen some hundreds of years later. But what do you think God is pointing towards when God talks about this? God's pointing towards the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God is going to actually come from 
the realm of divinity from the realm of the spiritual and come into flesh and blood in the person of Jesus and actually is going to literally dwell in the city of Jerusalem. It's the same language John 1, John uses when he talks about that Jesus came and dwelt. He tabernacled among the people. He took on flesh. One of the most famous passages on incarnation, John chapter 1. A whole lot that can be said about the incarnation. This is, though, touching on something that is such an important part of faith, of, of our story, of how we think of things. It's not always intuitive for people, especially if you grew up in certain kind of church environments. Let me, let me try to say it just as plainly as possible. As important it is that God loves the city. Love, as beautiful and as important it is, can feel very elusive, very conceptual, very hard to grab onto. Right? We have this in the human sense too, right? I say you love me, but it's like I need, I need to see some demonstrable things that show that love, right? Through service, through physical touch, through words. You know, there's all these different famous ways of how we demonstrate love in concrete kind of ways. But the bottom line is that if love remains only an abstract reality, it's very difficult to grab onto. Right? And so let's start first with God, but then it has impact on us. What God is saying is, I'm going to show my love for you through the actual entering into the human experience of becoming flesh and bone and blood. And this is also the basis for what God is saying to the nation of Israel. God is saying, I want you to love this city, but not in a way that feels abstract and elusive and hard to get your arms around. I want you to love this city in a way that is embodied that takes on the form of flesh and bone and blood. Like it cannot be just in words. It cannot be just in platitudes. It cannot be from a distance saying, I, I think finally. No, I want you to love in the same way I'm going to show you love. I want you, I want you to love in a physical, embodied, flesh, bone, and blood kind of way. Right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I'm, I'm, uh, different parts, you respond to different things. If it, maybe three points is good. I'm going to get like all, all, three, all, three, uh, all three sections of the church between, between this is, before this is all over. This connects with what I was trying to develop last week, that this, this the notion of the body of Christ, that um, what, what, I, what I would, the words I would put onto what God is saying for the second motivation, if the first one is, I love the city, I want you to love the city, I'm jealous for the city, I want you to be jealous for the city, God is saying, in the same way, I'm going to show love. Right? This is how the New Testament will reflect on this over and over and over again. This is how you know God loved us. So the Apostle John says in his later years, this is how you know that God loved us. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. God is saying, this is how the people who are still there as the remnant are going to know that you love them. You're going to be physically present there. You are going to be the body of Christ in flesh, blood, and bone and be an embodied materialization of the faith, hope, and love that you profess for. And if I can just stay here for just a second, here, here's where, over the years, on one hand, I think hopefully that sounds like, yeah, that makes sense. Here's what, what I've experienced, particularly those who grew up, if I can use loosely kind of this term evangelical, but the, those who grew up, especially in evangelical settings, um, we were formed in such, and if you weren't in this, you can just kind of listen in and go, oh, that's interesting, that makes sense, why that's a struggle. Um, for a lot, we were struggling in, in ways where, you know, Here's how the Apostle Paul says it in you know, 1 Corinthians 13, that faith, hope, and love is kind of what everything that matters, and particularly love. Um, many of us were formed in such a way where faith, hope, and love never had to take on material form. Um, if you had a good quiet time every morning and could profess to having a strong personal relationship with God, that's as much as was ever expected or hoped for for you in your faith development. Uh, many of us learned to operate in faith in a way that was disembodied, if I can use the opposite terminology, that did not have to show up in a particular way to manifest love. And 
that's just not that's just not how God talks about faith, hope, and love in the Bible. In fact, it's quite the opposite, right? It's not to ever deny or diminish the importance of a personal relationship with God. We care about that very deeply. I, I hope you become people who, like, all day long are in conversation with the God of the universe who's talking to you, right? Like, there's nothing in this that's to minimize how important individual personal relationship with God is. But the whole of this, it starts and ends with God starts by saying, I love this place. He end, God ends in verse 8 by saying, this is my covenant. I'm, I'm your God. You're my people. Right? The love of God has to manifest in a way that's concrete, that's material, that shows love, faith, and hope in a way that can be touched and felt. And this is a big part of the Old Testament story. God is saying, here's one of the ways that your love is made concrete, is you flesh, bone, and body show up as the body of Christ. All right? I mean, you can see where we're going with this here. Uh, uh, for our church's story, this is a big part of it. I'd, I'd, almost go, I'd almost go as far as to say this. If a community of faith is not rooted in a place, you just never know what you're really doing, right? There's, there's really no sign of, like, if it's actually manifesting in an outward kind of way that's in alignment with the redeeming power of God when you're not rooted in a place. That's one of the many reasons why place is so important for us in a particular kind of a place um, because... This is connected to a much larger thing of being as a body connected to the body of Christ in a way that's being fleshed out in a material way, right? That's always been true of our body. That's one of the things that really drives this project that we're doing right now next door. Tracking with me? Let me see if I can get the third part of the room with this last one. This is actually, this is going to sound funny. This is actually all I was going to do for the sermon initially, this last one. But that's, that, all that was the bill. But it's just, it just all feels so important. Here's the last thing. And, and, and maybe I can say, like, I think, okay, so you're tracking with me, right? The first thing God says to them is, I love the city. I want you to love the city, right? My jealousy for this place, for it to be all that I imagined for it to be, for it to be experiencing shalom and peace and well-being, right? So that's this first big driver. I love this place. I want you to love this place. Secondly, God roots it in the story of God's own incarnation of taking on flesh and blood. God is saying, I want you to live in such a way that faith, hope, and love are not just these conceptual realities. It's lived out in a material way, right? Now, I think God is anticipating a question that God is going to answer, but let's name the question. I think God is anticipating a question that would be a very natural question for for the people who are actually going to respond to this and say, okay, we want to love like you love. We want to show up in flesh, flesh, blood, bone kind of a way. What does that actually look like, God? What does that look like to love like you love and to be showing up in a flesh and blood kind of way? Interestingly, again, this is all through a prophecy. This is through through Zechariah, God speaking through Zechariah. But interestingly, God gives an actual very concrete picture of what it will look like if they are loving the way God loves this city and if they are showing up in a flesh, blood, and bone kind of way that God is showing up. Um, God gives kind of a, a, a bookend range from the older to the younger of what it will look like if they actually join God in this work. So this is verse uh, 4 and 5, the last thing we're going to focus on. This is what Yahweh says. Once again, so God's kind of appealing to, you know, the, the vitality that used to be there and, you know, what God imagines and hopes for for this place. Uh, Yahweh says, once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem each of them with cane in hand because of their age. And then verse 5, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Mm-hmm. This is what Yahweh says. 
Once again, men and women of right old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand, because their city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. And now here's what's interesting. Here, and you may not have the same response to this I do. Um, when I first really reflected on this, I thought, now that's actually kind of a surprising answer. Uh, I, 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 for whatever reason, this exercise came to my mind. I've been part of these kind of exercises. Some of you may have too. If somebody was leading a session on city renewal, urban renewal, and you're participating in that session, if somebody said to you, you know, for a city that carries the generational impact of human sin and is now facing social challenges such as violence and lack of access to good schools and all these kind of things, you know, what, what, what are the premier marks of shalom, right? What does it look like for a neighborhood to be experiencing the vitality it used to have? Uh, we'd come up with the answers pretty fast in here, right? We would say, so the violence is a thing. So safety, safety is one of the big things. We'd say schooling is one of the big things. We would say it needs a hospital and healthcare. We would say it needs access to good food, healthy food, right? It needs access to housing, right? These are the kinds of things that would jump out. So at first glance, it's interesting to me that when God describes shalom, you know, the, the peace that God longs for, it kind of sounds more like a park than anything, doesn't it? That people of ripe old age are there and enjoying their time where kids are running around freely in a safe way. And yet, and I think, I think you guys are already getting it with the, with the way you're responding to this one. But there's something about the way that God describes this where at the end of the day, that is the mark of a place that is experiencing shalom, isn't it? When, when you've got this intergenerational community, right? I mean, it's just such a beautiful image to have those who have lived life and, you know, are now walking around with a cane where they feel free and seen and able to um, invest what they have learned, um, to share wisdom, to, to nurture and mentor young people, or even to, uh, yesterday I saw Dr. John Perkins, who's in his 90s now, um, and I was talking about this passage with him. He was at Coach Gordon's retirement party. And he added this, too. He said, and don't forget, we just need to rest sometimes, too. We just need to rest. He, had, he actually has a cane. He said, he said, well, I was talking about Zechariah 8 that's the first time I ever heard this passage from him. He said, yeah, we need to be able to just rest, too. But this notion of the older ones being able to be there and representing kind of the fullness of life they've lived and experienced and now able to pass those on. And then this image of young people running around and playing, right? On one hand, it's so simple, and it is. On the other hand, it's so profound. Uh, Because if you show me, show us a place where kids are running around, and they're free, and they're playing, and they're not scared, you are seeing a place where that is getting free of the culture of violence and despair and hardship, right? Um, because you could also say the opposite, and this is what's too often true here. This is, this is probably, uh, of all the things that viscerally touch me, what, what, I think, what I think most bothers me is when it's just so normal for kids to talk through which route they're coming home from school, right? Like, Sean, you're here. Like, every day you walk the kids home from school, right? Like, they can't walk home from that church, from the school right there home, without being at risk of violence, right? This is the whole of what Sean does, um, a kid's brain is not supposed to be evaluating Ridgeway and Holman and Grand Avenue at which time of the day to figure out how violent it is and whether or not they can walk home safely, right? If you're looking for the clearest concrete expression of shalom being absolutely shattered, it's when little, little ones have to be constantly evaluating an environment to decide if it's safe enough. 
right? So when you see this, when you see something, it's first glance it seems so simple, where kids are running around, flying kites, kicking soccer balls, and shooting hoops. It sounds so simple on one hand, yet there's something about play. There's something about running around. There's something about being free that is almost like the premier sign of God's presence being the dominant reality of somewhere, of safety, freedom, being what defines the experience, right? Where you get this intergenerational thing where everybody's together and hanging out, and the older are investing what they've learned, where the younger ones are running around free, not wondering if they're going to get, you know, whatever, whatever the risk might be. This is how God answers for them. Here's what it's going to look like if you follow along with me of loving the city the way I love it, of enfleshing your faith in a way that I'm going to enflesh my faith for you. You'll see older folks with canes hanging out, loving, living, investing. You'll see young kids running around, feeling free and safe. And so with that kind of burning in our minds, can we just quickly again show you some of the renderings for this project that we're getting closer and closer to? And can you think about these can you see these now in a Zechariah 8 kind of lens? Because this is how I'm seeing them, and I'm going to invite you to do that. Yeah, if you would, thank you, um, if you come to the first one. So when we talk about in this lot right there, when we do this, right, so a, a big part of that area is going to be uh, a full-court basketball court. It's not regulation size, but it's full court, which is a big difference than our half-court inside the gym here. Um, when you see a full-court basketball area, and you can see a full-court, uh, is it called, Sarah, what's it called? An, a full, full uh, is it called full court? Is it full? I don't know. Sarah's the only, Sarah's the only soccer player I know. I'm sure a lot of you played that. So anyway, when you see a full basketball court, when you see a full soccer field, then, yeah, thank you. Uh, when uh, Dave, flip back and forth a couple times between this and the next one because it, it zooms in a little bit on that back area. Um, uh, so all of these are kind of open areas for kids to run around. That's also the performing arts area back there. Um, where there's going to be a stage. You know, so many of our kids love doing spoken word and poetry and music. Or you see that even after service here every week, the kids loving to get up on the instruments and be part of this. Um, and then flip back into the first one again. When, when we see, this is what I would like to invite you to do. When we see these images, yes, it's a basketball court. Yes, it's a soccer field. Yes, it's a performing arts area. It's places to, to run around. But I want to invite you to see something even more. I would invite you to see in the way that Zechariah 8 describes it, a place where kids run around freely. When they're kicking a soccer ball and shooting hoops and flying kites over there and performing on the stage and running around and just being kids, right? Human beings might not see that as marvelous, but God sees that as marvelous. God sees that as marvelous. Right, when you go, if you go to that third image, when you see, and that what these rendings will get more and more detailed as we go, but you know, this is going to be the nature area, this is going to be the communal areas, there's going to be you know, beauty, nature, places to commune. When, when next spring you're out there and we see the elderly from our neighborhood and the elderly from our church sitting down and talking and mentoring young kids and intergenerational community out there, can we remember, yeah, that's cool for what it is, but it represents something even deeper. This is Zechariah 8 kind of language of the fruit of what happens when we all work together to create a safe kind of a place. And let me go, let me go, go ahead into that next image. And this is a rendering from the early days from Christian. I don't know what this front gate will eventually look like. But here, here I'm just going to share just me, and this is my own ignorance, but I'm going to share this personally. This came out of the design process with the community. And last week, if you weren't here, we shared a lot of how extensive the design process is with kids, teens, parents, 
school workers, other nonprofit pastors, like everybody's involved in this. Here's one of the things that came that was really surprising to me when especially parents and kin- caregivers talked about this a lot next door, what they, what they imagined. Let me tell you what I expected. What I expected people were going to say is, we want that to be a place that's open 24-7, that does not have gates, that does not, like, that does not have any kind of prohibition to getting in. But that's not what they said. The 24-7 kind of do, but here's what they said. They said, if our kids are going to be there, we need to know with absolute certainty that that place is safe and that it's protected. And if it's just wide open, we have other wide open spaces, and those aren't safe anymore. So there are some spaces we can take kids, but they're not safe. And so this is one of the things that's being asked of the collective of adults. Can you make sure that place is absolutely safe? That, so even to this point, this is why I include this rendering. Um, this came over, out over and over and over again. Parents and caregivers don't want the lot to be visible, the park to be visible, because there's, you know, when you're still working on the things we're working at, there's a risk of like if somebody who does not have shalom kind of intentions, if somebody doesn't have good intentions is peeking in to see who's there and there's beef happening, like there's a risk to everybody. So this is one of the things that came out. We want it to be beautiful and inviting and warm. We also want it to be protected. We want to protect it. Now, so we have all these ideas of like, like we want our community partners to be, we want to be, like one of the things you see in the video, Beth talks about how, you know, late night basketball games, stuff like that. There's like proven evidence for that being able to um, combat crime. So we do want it to actually be something close to 24-7, but it will always have to be in a way that assures the community that it's protected and safeguarded. Now, I mentioned that, that that's kind of specific, but it feels like such a big part of the Zechariah vision. In fact, I didn't, I didn't end up doing the rest of the chapter, but when you read through the rest of the chapter, you see over and over again that one of the things that God is directly addressing is the threat of violence, the threat of lack of safety for people. And this is one of the most visceral kinds of realities of shalom, is that when you're experiencing community the way God wants you to experience community, you're not worried all the time. You're not worried all the time about violence. And so this is one of the most visceral realities that we are having to collectively respond to. Of course, we're always going to be part of the bigger picture kinds of conversations that is the long game on this stuff. But there's something that feels really beautiful about having this three-city lot protected space that's not gated off from anybody. The gated off, the only thing it's getting off is violence. That's the only thing that's being gated off in that thing where it is a place, and this was part of the original vision, This and this really came to fruition, of the four values we talk about when the kids come here. The first thing is always we want this to be a safe home. Anything that threatens safety here is of the highest offense. Um, at church, nonprofit, all the time. And that's going to be true of this lot next door. Okay, obviously I'm getting very animated about this. So I'm going to take a deep breath here and inhale. And you can go ahead and take that down. Thank you, Dave, for doing that. But this is why, um, th- this is one of the many reasons why this project that we're about to embark on feels so important. It's one of the reasons why we're going to ask you to share widely about it because it takes a lot of resources to make something like that happen. And I actually think there's a lot of people who want to see things like that happen. We're not asking you to go tell people about our church so we can have a bigger sanctuary. No, this, this, this is really not about the church at the end of the day. This is about participating with God on something that feels really significant that's been 20 years in the making. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to make a big difference. We want to have everything raised this year so that at the beginning of next year, we are with all the plans in place, we want to be able to, we want to have that thing fully operational by the very first day that it's nice, like even semi-nice for kids to be out there. And it's going to require all of us. And it's kind of fun when we do things that require all of us because I'm very confident it won't work if we, don't all, if we don't all do our part in it. So I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Worship team, you can get ready to get back in. And I'm just going to ask us to kind of sit in what 
So many years ago, God was saying to the nation of Israel, and for us to kind of hear this in our own words. So join me in prayer, if you will. God, um, I, I want to first acknowledge you always care about each individual person's journey in here. And so right now, each person is bringing their own joys and struggles and hardships and sorrows and prayer requests, and you care deeply about that. We're, we're, we're never minimizing those when we talk about the communal call. So God, we just invite each person right now in this moment to come into your presence. I mean, your presence is already here, but we invite you to invite us um, to just kind of breathe deeply. In fact, if you don't mind doing this with me, can, can, can we just kind of take a couple of deep breaths here, like uh, inhales and exhales? Whereas, uh, th- this is one of the words for spirit is, is breath. It's the same word, breath, wind, spirit, all the same words. So inhale with me if you will, just... And then exhale. And as we get ready to do that again, think even of God breathing into you right now. In the account of John, when Jesus comes back post-resurrection, it says that Jesus breathed onto his disciples, which is one of my favorite images. So as you get ready to inhale again, I know this is different than what I usually do, but I'm just feeling this right now. I want you to imagine the God who is life, the God who is love, the God who brings healing to everything that God touches. I want to imagine that God breathing into you, and then let's inhale. And let's exhale. God, as we do that right now, collectively, virtually in person here, we are reminded of a God who is so close, a God who loves us so much that you came into the flesh, a God who loves each one of us so much, you will show it in concrete ways over and over and over again. And we ask that we'd have the eyes to see the way that you're showing that love for us. Now, God, on the eve of our anniversary, we're also asking as a community for us to hear your voice. And I believe, I believe these words that you spoke through Zechariah to the nation of Israel are the same kind of words that you would speak to us. So, God, I would just ask that you would, as a collective, help us to remember that the place you have called our church to be, to be rooted, to be joined with many who came before us, many who will come after us, so many who are at work right now, you have called us to this place because you love this place. And you want us to love this place. You are jealous for this place, God, and you want us to be jealous that this place would experience all the markers of shalom, of peace, of well-being, of love made manifest. God, I pray in the same way that through Zechariah, you called on the people to not love from a distance, not to love in an elusive, hard-to-grab-hold-of way. No, that you called them to love in a flesh and blood and bone kind of way, in a way where there was presence, in a way that the love, faith, and hope of God Almighty was seen in such tangible ways. God, I pray we will be beneficiaries of that, of seeing your love made manifest through people, and that we would be conveyors of that, that we would each see that we have a role to play in being a physical manifestation of your love. And then, God, this image that's just such a simple and yet piercing image, this image of an intergenerational community that's enjoying time and space, that feels free to be seen and loved, free for those who have lived life to invest and share and impart wisdom, 
for those who are young to be able to run freely without the threat of harm or injury. God, this is one of the material ways that we can live out this call. So we want to do this in many ways, but we do pray for this big project for this three-city lot next door. May that be for years and years and decades and decades, may that be a place where Zechariah 8 is lived out in a palpable kind of a way where we just all the time seeing young ones run around freely in a way where they can be kids and be loved. May we see this intergenerational, intercultural kind of community where all of your people in simple and yet profound ways sit together and commune together. Love together. As we respond in worship now through singing God, Pray that we'd be attentive to your voice, attentive to what you would call us to see different, feel different, experience different, and then live differently, God. Move in us in this moment, we pray. Amen. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, may this be something that continues to carry us, that continues to go deeper and deeper into our hearts and minds and souls, that we may live in a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of thankfulness, because we truly see the transformational power, the life-changing reality of a God who loved us and loves us, a God who calls us by name, a God who transforms and heals and makes all things new. May we indeed have this almost bubbly sort of gratitude that even the hardest of times remembers who you are and what you've done. We're thankful for this time together. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if you are able to stand for our closing benediction, well, as we are in this kind of really wonderful season of remembering 20 years, wherever, however recent or long your part of the story is within that, we will continue to be grateful for the ways God has moved. That is very real. But as you can see, we're also going to have a very concrete thing we're asking. We're going we're gonna to ask you to help us make that lot a reality. And if you want to go walk around there again afterwards just to, like, feel it, please do. Um, as we get deeper into this series, we are so, uh, with one date to keep in mind. On October 15th, we're going to do a big event out there. So anybody who's Chicago-based, we're going to invite. We're just going to have tons of people coming through and just seeing that property and seeing renderings and seeing what it's going to become. I, I know people are excited about it because I've been talking to even like totally non-church people are super excited about what's happening. So to invite people to that, to invite people to watch the video. So we'll be giving details about that. But I'm asking you to uh, kind of consider your place within the Zechariah vision. Right? Let's remember that through Zechariah, God tells the people, I love this city and I want you to love this city. I'm going to show up in a flesh and bones and blood kind of way and I want you to show up in a flesh and bones and blood kind of way. And that it makes God happy. God would go so far to say it feels marvelous when a place that carries the impact of human generational sin, when you see community being together, when you see kids running around safely, that makes God's heart smile. God would go so far to say that's marvelous. So let us love what God loves and move forward into this together. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all.